in the season of Lent, we are joining many churches around the world in the uh, 40 Acts program. We're also tracking with the program and those other churches in what we talk about. And we're going to be in a little study in the book of Acts where we're going to talk about the characteristics of the early church, characteristics of the followers of Jesus at the very beginning of all things Christianity. Back three, four years ago, I was traveling with our friend Phil Dumpster, recent grandfather of yet another grandson he can terrorize in the reign of terror that is Phil. If you know him, you know what I mean. If you don't know him, you're scared to death of what kind of place this is where we talk about people that way, right? So we, we were traveling from Lahore to Peshawar in Pakistan. And we, we left the place we were staying in Lahore in a great hurry. And, and it was a little confusing to both Phil and me that we hadn't left in time to catch a bus that we had reservations on. So there's this phenomenal transportation system in Pakistan um, where modern highways and buses have been planted into the country. Um, but we didn't leave where we were staying in time to catch the bus. So we, we got into this car, and it was probably the most frightening ride of my life, and I've had some frightening rides in various sundry countries. We were speeding beyond speeding, and at one point, Phil reached forward and grabbed the shoulder of our host and said about the driver, tell him to slow down now. And the host just sort of said, don't worry, we have to hurry to catch the bus. And Phil said, I'm going to kill him. Right? That's Phil's usual reaction to trouble like that. The bus was pulling out of the station when we arrived, um, and the driver pulled the car in front of the bus, so the bus had to stop. And then our host said, quick, get on the bus. So we quick got on the bus and settled in for about a five or six hour ride, lovely, comfortable ride, where sort of like an airplane, they brought you a box lunch halfway through the trip. It was just lovely. We arrived in Peshawar in the middle of the night. Um, and once again, we were brought into this car that sped away from the bus station. Now, what we had been told was that because we had had a fairly hectic schedule for the days prior to that, we were going to a guest house for some rest. So as we were speeding from the bus into the dark of night in the middle of Peshawar, um, we were escorted into a tenement building, just like a, a concrete, um, bland-looking building. And I said to Phil, this, this doesn't look like a guest house to me. He said, no, it doesn't look like any guest house I've ever seen. As we were climbing the stairs, our host said, I couldn't tell you where we were going. We're not going to a guest house. We're going to a safe house. This is a place where people who have recently converted to Christianity flee from their jobs and families because they're in fear of their lives. Wow. So in the middle of night, the door opened to this apartment, um, and the floor was filled with people sleeping in sleeping bags of all ages and all kinds. Many of them were Pashtun people, so if, if you remember any of that, they are very fierce-looking people. Um, we were actually very close to where bin Laden had, had hidden out in his notoriety. Um, and these people had recently come to Christ, 
uh, in the morning when we got up and tried to sort of shake our heads and make sense of where we were and who these folks were, we began to hear their stories. And my goodness, the word that immediately comes to my mind is the word for today, which is the word brave. I've never seen such brave people, at least as far as I could tell. They were incredibly brave. But the close second to the word brave was the word joyful. They were full of incredible joy. And as we heard their stories, and they said that they knew that if they were to return home, they had near relatives who would kill them, or they had employers who would kill them. Um, they knew that that was a real possibility, and yet the joy of their faith in Jesus um, was just you know, almost palpable. Many of them had come to Christ because of dreams, which for a good old Baptist like me is just a strange thing, isn't it? That Jesus is appearing, Esai is appearing in dreams, and he's telling people that he is the true prophet. And he's telling them that the Quran tells them of him that they should listen to him as their prophet. And so they are coming by dreams and visions, by appearances of Isa. And here were these dear, dear people. Um, we had baptisms for them in that motel room. Um, they would just, one by one, <laughs> go into the bathroom where a bathtub was filled with water, and they would profess their faith in Christ and, and follow him in baptism. What an incredible encounter. I wouldn't trade that for the best guest house on the planet because of the joy of meeting and seeing these folks. And as I read the passage for this week, it reminded me entirely of them. Here's what we see in Acts chapter 5. They took his advice. Well, how, what's that about? Gamaliel is the one whose advice they took. So Gamaliel is part of the Sanhedrin, which is the ruling class of the, the Jews and the religious leaders of the Jews. Um, and the Sanhedrin was beside itself with anger over the apostles because they had been told to stop telling people that Jesus was alive and they had been told to stop telling people that the Jews had crucified him. But they were going around still persisting on this message. So they'd already been imprisoned and they couldn't keep them in prison because an angel showed up and opened the door. And the next morning they went to find them and they found that the jail was locked still. But when they opened the doors, they were not inside. They were gone. And where were they? They were back in the temple courts preaching and teaching about Jesus, that he was the Messiah and that forgiveness of sins was available through him. So they called them in one more time. And they said, we told you, you must stop passing this message along about Messiah. You have to stop that. And they were discussing whether or not they should kill them. So that, that's kind of heady stuff, right? They were literally debating whether they ought to execute them because they had tried to imprison them and they had escaped and they were back in the temple courts and this was undoing the religious peace of the day. Gamaliel said, hang on, before you act too hastily, remember that there have been people like this who have come and gone. Remember so-and-so and he led, it seemed like a whole insurrection he was leading, but where is he now? He's sort of, you know, faded off the scene. So, um, you know, that, that might just be what happens with these people. They may just run out of steam and they'll be out of your hair. 
if what they're saying is true, you can't stop them anyway. So I advise you not to kill them. So what they do is that they flog them. Now, that's a close second to being killed. So it was 39 whip strikes on the back. It came from Deuteronomy where they were told that if there was someone who was rebellious, they could give 40 stripes, but no more than 40 because that would thoroughly dishonor fellow Israelites. So they always stopped at 39, but they were good at it. And they used it to extract information from prisoners. They used it to stop them in their tracks so that they wouldn't carry on doing whatever it was they were doing. So we're told that that's what happened here. They took his advice, Gamaliel's advice. And after calling the apostles and they flogged them and ordered them not to speak of the name of Jesus and then released them. So they went on their way from the presence of the council rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame. Literally, they were honored to be dishonored for his name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. That's bravery, isn't it? They'd been imprisoned. They had been flogged. They were candidates for execution. And they were told not to do this anymore, to cease and desist. And so, the text says, and so, you expect, they went home and said, okay, let's lay low for a while. And so, they went back and continued to preach about Jesus, that he was the Messiah. Now, who were these guys? Were they brave folks to start with? So let's track back a little while. After the crucifixion of Jesus, we're told that the next day, while they were hiding for fear of the Jews, things started to happen. The, the, the natural state, right? The, the resting point for the apostles after the death of Jesus was to hide in fear. They were terrified. They, they couldn't even stay near him when he was arrested. They ran away. Peter, who had claimed that even if everybody else ran away, he never would, he reverted to foul fisherman language and denied that he even knew who Jesus was. So this, this is the crowd. These are the ones who are imprisoned, flogged, told not to preach about Jesus, and who go right back at it as soon as they can get out there. What changed? And how brave are you? What's, what's the bravest thing you've ever done? Think about it. Did you, did you ever watch Fear Factor and like shudder at the snails or whatever or the water or fear, overcoming fear, being brave? What's the bravest thing you've ever done? Tell me. Say again? Public speaking? Okay. Yep. <laughs> what else? Bravest thing you've ever done? Yeah. But you did? Oh, my goodness. Who else has ever gone bungee jumping? Bungee jumping. You jumped out of a plane? Skydiving beats Trump's bungee jumping, I think. So I used to, to go to Uganda, and the place we went always, um, the the groups wanted to do bungee jumping into the Nile. If, if you've ever been to some African countries, the, the standard of maintenance 
in my view, isn't what it ought to be. So every time somebody did a bungee jump into the Nile, I'm thinking, one of these times, that rope is going to give. And it's going to be the time I'm on it. So that's the only reason I would have done it. Except that, right? Somebody else, what's the bravest thing you've ever done? Maddie, what's the bravest thing you've ever done? No? It is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Cool. So bravery doesn't come naturally, probably, to most of us. Um, and in our Christianity, when is bravery required? Um, how many people are really almost terrified of talking to people about your faith? Just honestly. You, you think you should, you know you should, but it just re it's really hard to get it started, right? I, it is for me. So you know, I'm always trying to think of some way that you can kind of ease into that, um, right? But it's, it's terrifying sometimes. But remember, Jesus said, peace be with you, right? Um, don't let your hearts be troubled or terrified. There are things that terrify us, um, things like being persecuted, because that's the beatitude that would have been our last one that actually brings us to today, because here are these apostles who are being persecuted. Their lives are being threatened because of their faith. That is terrifying. Um, most people that I talk to say that they are pretty sure they could not stand up to persecution that they might cave. And yet everyone that I've spoken to who is under persecution will say that they did not know that they had the bravery or the courage to stand up until the moment, until the time came. And then to a person they will say, and from somewhere came this courage. From somewhere came this bravery that has allowed me to stand up. If I go back to work, they may kill me. One young man, his name was Sean, Shanta, um, in um, Egypt, said his life had been threatened and he was going back to the same place. And I said, well, why are you going back if your life has been threatened? He said, well, why would I not? Wow, why would I not? Because their faith is strong. So... I think there are three things that are the reasons that these early apostles, these early Christians, can be called brave. Um, the first is the word certainty. They were sure. And if we're going to be on the kind of, of ground that would be called bravery, we, we better start being absolutely certain of our faith. Absolutely certain um, that this is not a hoax. So are, are you sure? It's the right way, the right answer today is nod your heads, right? But are you sure? Because you know they needed to be sure. So Thomas said, nah, not me. If, if I get to put my fingers in the print of the nails and my hand in his side, then I, I'll believe, but not until then. And then Jesus showed up, and he said, so Thomas, here I am, go ahead, feel. And he said, oh, my Lord and my God. 
And Jesus said, blessed are those who will believe who have not seen. So you are blessed if you believe not having seen, but you need to be sure. If there are doubts that are plaguing your mind and heart about your Christian faith, you're not going to find bravery when you need it. Do you remember when Lucy went into the wardrobe and through the wardrobe into Narnia? So she came back with these tall tales about a land of uh, perpetual Christmas and talking animals, right? So the two brothers went to the uncle whose place they were staying at, and they said, our little sister is telling us these yarns about going through a wardrobe into Narnia. And he said, is she in the habit of telling lies? I said, no, not really. Is she in the habit of being deluded? No. Well, maybe she's telling the truth. What do we know? We know that we have pretty accurate, dependable, first-hand witness reports. I, all the sophisticated theological terms around what the Bible is and its authority and all of that set aside. We are at least pretty sure we have good eyewitness testimony about the person of Jesus. And that's where to start. For some people, that's where to finish, to leave some of the other things out there not answered. But I know in the depths of my heart and in my mind, I know that there are faithful records of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So that's where I start. And that makes me sure. It makes me sure when I have my doubts. It makes me sure when I try to sort out the math of this whole thing. When I try to sort out the, um, the sociology of this whole thing. And what about people who've never ever heard? And what about the fact that the world now is billions and billions of people and the whole history of the world really is in the last 40 years and what has happened then and all of that. But no matter what kind of travels into my head in the dark of night, I'm pretty sure that we have faithful eyewitness records of the person of Jesus in terms of his life, death, and resurrection and all of his teachings. So I'm good with that. And that makes me certain. And because of that certainty, I think I'm ready to move along into a place of being able to be an agent of grace um, where I'm not afraid that somebody's going to sort of sneak up with that one question that I don't know how to answer or that I'm afraid about or that I doubt about. I'm pretty sure. And some of you might say, pretty sure is not really good enough for me. I want to be absolutely sure. Well, faith is being pretty sure. Right? It is not thinking something could be or wishing something were true. It is basically saying this is enough to go to the bank with. I'm that sure. The second thing that I think got the apostles to the point where they could be brave was the Holy Spirit. Duh, right? Jesus said, do not leave Jerusalem until you receive the promise of the Father. What is the promise of the Father? that you will be given not only um, a forgiveness, not only a new heart, but my spirit to live in you. 
And Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be terrified because the Holy Spirit will come and he will teach you all things that you need to know. He'll remind you of what I have said and he will empower you. So you get the terrified Peter who has messed up and won't even sort of claim that he loves Jesus with a faithful love on the day of Pentecost is filled, gushed with the Holy Spirit. And he gets out there and he preaches such a message. Thousands of people are cut to the bone and say, what do we have to do? And he says, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And the church was born. That's Peter. He messed up. He didn't have what it took. But the Holy Spirit infused his life and filled him. We need things from God like we need gasoline in our tanks on a, on a road trip. We talked last time about peace. Jesus said, here, I'm leaving peace with you. I'm giving it to you. Well, you have to take it. But he promises that it's going to be enough, that you will not let your hearts be troubled or terrified because my peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. So I hope if you asked for peace last Sunday that the Lord gave it to you. He promised he would. So if you needed it and asked him for it, I hope that you have experienced it. The second thing is the fullness of the Spirit is available to us. It is not once and for all. And there are different sort of um, iterations of the, the way we view the Holy Spirit in our lives. So what we know for sure and what we agree about for sure is that when we come to Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit into our lives. He comes to take up residence in our hearts, in our lives. But we're told to be being filled by the Holy Spirit. So usually you don't get just that one dose and you're done. It's you have to go back and say, I think I'm a little low on Holy Spirit. Because I'm noticing just some things, like the gauges are, they're just not up where they ought to be in terms of my growth and my character and my power. I'm feeling, feeling a little cowardly, I'm feeling a little depleted. So I need to be filled up again. And God says, sure, here you go. Just Jesus promised peace. He said, I'm giving it to you. And John, we're told that as he's talking to the disciples, he breathed the Holy Spirit into them. He said, receive the Spirit. And then the Spirit came in spades on the day of Pentecost. And ever since then, the early story is, how do we know these people have really been accepted by God? Well, did they receive the Holy Spirit? Well, I don't know. Let's ask them. Did you receive the Holy Spirit? What's the Holy Spirit? And then they told them about the Holy Spirit and they received his power and his gifts. So you need to be sure and you need to be filled up with the Holy Spirit. You need to be topped up with the Holy Spirit. And it's perhaps Sunday by Sunday a good discipline to just say, hmm, I think this week I've run a little low. But I know that the Holy Spirit is ready always to fill me. For what? The third thing is obedience. They were sure, they had the Holy Spirit, and they wanted to do what they were told. Go into the whole world and preach the gospel. Start here in Jerusalem, 
then we'll send you to Judea, then you'll go off to Samaria, and finally to the farthest reach of the world. And so here's the Holy Spirit. Go do what I'm telling you to do. Are you brave? We can all fess up that we're not as brave as we'd like to be. We can all admit that we actually at times are cowardly. But what we need to know is that this is true. And if it's true, there are things that are incumbent upon us that we just can't duck. If it's true, it changes everything. If it's not true, if it's a hoax, we're fools. Even the Apostle Paul said that. He said, if, if this isn't true, so some of you are saying that you know parts of it are right, but the rest of it's not right, that there's no such thing as resurrection. If there's no such thing as resurrection, then okay, let's just go down the line. Jesus wasn't raised from the dead. You're not going to be raised from the dead. You're still in your sins. You are hopeless. We are to be, of all people, most pitied. But it is true, he said. So if it's not true, let's all just go and live life. But if it's true, it has to change everything because it has. And then we need the Holy Spirit to make sure that we're empowered into that truth. And we need to do what we're told. So again, I challenge you the 40 days, do what you're told. Right? You can, it's the easiest thing. You can opt out. You can pretend you didn't read that today. You can say you've done enough. You know, red, so you're going to just, you know, coast with yellows for a while. It, it doesn't matter. But what, what it is about is saying, Jesus is real. And that changes everything. The kingdom of God is coming, and it is already here. So the people that walk past me somehow or other need to be blessed by that. It might only mean that you smile at them. And that that smile changes their intentions for themselves for the day. If four American Airlines employees can change my life, you can change somebody's life this week by an act of kindness. When is Chocolate Tuesday? This Tuesday, oh my goodness. If you're not into Chocolate Tuesday, there's something wrong with you. Because chocolate is the language of the kingdom. In Matthew 29... I think it says that. Um, Jane Philpot this week was brave. You, you may remember Bethany, Jane's daughter, who was with us when she was in med school. And I've known Pep and Jane for years and years. Um, it took courage. But coming out of the truth, and I'm worried these days by the term my truth as though that's a different thing from the truth. But Jane stood by her convictions. She still wants to serve her constituents, but she stood by her convictions, and that was brave. So why don't we pray and pray for that brave spirit to come upon us as well. <laughs> Father, we thank you for the incredible story of these early followers of yours, the transformation of their lives, that turned them from cowards into brave hearts. For the steadfastness of their obedience to you against the threat and the actual imposition of persecution, of flogging, of the threat of death, 
thank you that they were brave. And so, Father, we pray that you will work in our hearts this morning. Convince us again this morning that this is true, forever true. Give us the measure of your spirit that we need to live out of that truth and into our lives. And give us a desire to obey you, uh, even in a simpler way as to say, um, if you're telling me to track with these acts of kindness, I will, I will do what I'm told. Um, because your kingdom is coming, needs to come, and it is already coming. In Jesus' name.